We are going to go ahead and get started. Thank you guys for coming back again. I'm excited about today's lesson. Uh, before we dive into it, let me pray. We'll get going. God, we thank you so much for this, uh, again, wonderful opportunity just to be here at this camp and to uh, get to know new friends and um, get to know old friends better. Thank you for the chance to worship and sing songs and to sit under the teaching of your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and bless us. And, um, and most of all, open our hearts because no words of mine are actually going to impact at all. It has to come from you. And I pray that your spirit would be very powerful and strong and that you would do a work in each of our hearts so that we could know your story better and love it, but also have wisdom to know the false stories that the world is trying to tell us. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, yesterday we talked about how stories shape us. God is basically the great storyteller, the greatest of all time. And uh, we talked about four things. We said your life is a story. Uh, your story is not an accident. Your story needs to be shared, and your story should be shaped by God's story. Because God is the great storyteller. Today we're going to talk about another master storyteller. And we see him from the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, after God has made everything, this master storyteller enters into the scene. And he comes to Adam and Eve and says, did God really say that you can't eat the fruit of that tree? You know, if you eat it, you're going to be like God. And so they believe that story. And all of creation fell. This master storyteller we are talking about, obviously, is Satan. It's the devil. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11. And we're going to talk about the stories that Satan and the world is trying to sell to us in order to lead to our destruction. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering, sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, Strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Your enemy, the devil, roams around like a lion trying to devour people. Okay? That is the description we get of this master storyteller. And the way he does it is through stories. And we see a lot of these false stories on TV and social media in movies, uh, in jobs, in schools, in our homes. Like, these stories are all around us, and Satan and the world is trying to get us to buy these stories. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. Uh, several, a few years ago, there were these two guys who wanted to run an experiment. And they went out to a bunch of antique stores and thrift stores and bought a bunch of knick-knack items. Like things that weren't worth, they were absolutely worthless, like a little wooden horse or a, a tiny little garden gnome or just things that nobody would ever want. 
And their goal was to sell them on eBay, but then they went out and they got 200 writers to attach fake stories to each of the items. Stories like, like, oh, I used to, we used to have this garden gnome and it, outside and my mom and I would plant flowers and every day the garden gnome would be in a different spot and I believed it was real, but it turns out my mom was just telling me stories and, and it's like a, a little cute story to go with the item just to see if that would enhance the value of it. They ended up getting $129 worth of things from thrift stores and they turned a profit of $8,000 on eBay purely by adding fake stories to them. The point of that is this. We buy stories. We love stories. We were made for stories. Stories shape us and influence us, even the fake ones, even the false stories shape and influence us. And that's what I want you to see today is that there are false stories in this world that are trying to shape and mold you. And you need to be able to recognize when those stories come up. So we're going to talk about some of those things. The first one we're going to talk about is this. Listen to your heart. It's the first false story we're going to hit on today. Listen to your heart. Y'all seen the movie Moana? Okay. Uh, I like Moana. My kids like Moana. We watch it all the time. It's got great music. Really good music. It's a fun movie. Uh, There's a lot to love about Moana. There's also plenty not to like about it, and I'm going to touch on that right here. So basically, Moana is this, this little girl. She's uh, the daughter of the chief in this village out in the Pacific Ocean in an island. And her dad wants her to be the leader of this community, wants her to grow up and be this chief and take on this responsibility and serve her people and be content where she is. Moana is not content where she is. She wants to explore beyond the reef where they're not supposed to go. She wants to be an adventurer. She wants to have these experiences. Her grandmother comes in and and the, the movie presents her as like the voice of reason, the voice of wisdom. The grandmother comes in and says, you are your father's daughter, stubbornness and pride. Mind what he says, but remember, you may hear a voice inside. And when that voice starts to whisper, follow the farthest star. Moana, that voice inside is who you are. That's a lie. That's not true. That voice inside of you is not who you are. But that's what so many people in our culture believe. We believe that if we just listen to our hearts, nothing will go wrong. If we just listen to that little voice inside of us, then we will be who we're supposed to be. Do you want to know how wrong that is? Let's hear what the Bible has to say about that. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I'm going to to say that again. The heart is deceitful above not just some things, above all things. And it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? What in the world makes us think that we should be listening to our hearts? <laughs> it's, it's trying to deceive us. Our hearts are sick. They are, they are broken with sin, and they're trying to deceive us. Who can understand our hearts? Listening to our hearts, being who we think we are on the inside, that leads to a lot of destruction in this world, and we see evidence of that. That's why so many teenagers especially have all these identity issues. We can't figure out who we're supposed to be because we keep listening to that little voice inside of us that we think is telling us who we're supposed to be. 
Stop listening to your heart. Listen to God's word instead. And then God's word will shape your heart into what it was meant to be. Listen to your heart is a lie. Number two, the second lie I want to talk about. You are your own hero. You are your own hero. I'm going to pick on Disney again. There's a show that my kids like called The Lion Guard. It's kind of a spinoff of The Lion King. And I, I, again, I like the show. I'm not like bashing any of this stuff. I like all of these stories. This is a, okay, little tangent here. This is another thing that comes with wisdom that I want you guys to learn is that there are plenty of stories out there that have, have good and bad. And I want you to be able to take the good from certain stories, but also recognize the bad. Okay, this is, this is an example. Uh, the Lion Guard's great. There's plenty to like about it. There's this character named Besti, who uh, Besti is trying to be nice to this, uh, this little baby elephant who is really having some, like, a lack of confidence. And the, the elephant can't figure out, like, you know, why am I not strong like all the other elephants? And why am I always, like, so scared all the time? And Besti comes in and sings a song and says this. No need to worry. Hold your head up with pride. Believe in yourself. There's no reason to hide. It's there within you, the hero inside. That's, that's Disney. <laughs> that's, that's the story that the world really tries to tell us. You don't need somebody to come in and rescue you. You are your own hero. You can be your own hero. Just pick yourself up by the bootstraps and keep working hard and you will get there. Be your own hero. Don't rely on other people. Like, that's a lie. You don't know how much of a lie that is? Let me tell you a story that I think illustrates that quite well. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I started working with RYM. And my first day on the job, we were in Nashville, just at a camp just outside of Nashville, at a youth leader training uh, convention. And my first job that they gave me, this is how much they trusted me. They said, we want you to go to the store, get two gallon buckets of ice cream, bring it back and put it in the freezer. You think you can handle that? I said, I think I can. So I went to the store, got the ice cream, brought it back. And this is before everybody else has showed up. So the dining hall is empty. I walk in, go to the big kit. It's this big, like industrial sized kitchen. I walk in and it's dark. There's music playing somewhere in the back, like a radio's on. And so I said, hello? No answer. Hello? I'm like holding the ice cream. I fiddle around with my elbow on the wall trying to find a light switch. I find one, the lights come on. And there standing in the back of the room across from me is this guy who apparently was just staring at me in the dark. <laughs> okay, that's when red flags should have gone up, but I just kind of ignored him. And I went, oh, uh, hey, I, I, um, I need to put this ice cream in the freezer. You got a place I can put it? And he stares at me for another awkward five seconds or so and says, you can put it in my freezer. He turns around and starts walking. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I'm following this guy through these long, dark corridors of this unknown industrial-sized kitchen. So I just kept going. And he leads me into the back. And we go through the walk-in refrigerator. And it's like, you know, pretty big. It's lined with shelves and things. And he leads me back to the walk-in freezer. He opens the door. It's maybe like 10 feet by 10 feet. There's shelves on the wall. And he points to the back and says, you can put it on that shelf. I said, okay, thanks. I walk in, put the first one up, bend down, put the second one up. I turn around, 
The door is closed and the guy is gone. And in my head, I actually kind of giggle a little bit because I'm thinking, wouldn't it be hilarious if the door was closed? Like, this is how you would imagine every horror movie going. But I know this is real life. Things like that don't happen in real life. So I walk over there quite confidently and I pull on the door handle and it doesn't budge. And then it dawns on me. This guy locked me in the freezer. <laughs> Starting to panic. But then I remember, I have a phone in my pocket. I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to call my boss. I'm going to say, get down here to the kitchen. Unlock this freezer. Arrest that man. And then we can just go about our day. I pull my phone out. In the top left corner, it says, no service. Because I'm in an airtight metal container in the middle of nowhere. Of course I don't have service. This is when the panic really starts to set in. And I start thinking, like, is this it? Like, is this how I go? Like, they are going to find my cold, lifeless body clutching a half-eaten gallon of ice cream in the back corner of a walk-in freezer at Camp Widgie Wagon. Because the last thing I'm going to do before I freeze to death is eat as much ice cream as I possibly can. I was really panicking. I... The only thing I could think to do at this point was to stand up and just start pounding on the door. And that's what I did. I just said, help, let me out, let me out of here, somebody help me. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs and all of a sudden I hear somebody fidgeting on the other side of the door. So I stop, I get real quiet and I hear the sound of the vacuum seal release. This waft of warm air washes over me and there standing before me is the guy. So I stick my foot in the door so he can't close it again. I said, dude, what are you doing? You locked me in the walk-in freezer. I've been pulling and pulling on the door and it wouldn't budge. And he looks at me and says, did you try pushing it? So turns out the door to the walk-in freezer was a push and not a pull. And in my panic, I failed to try the only other option that was presented to me. There were two choices. The first choice was pull. That didn't work. It said, I, I just went, all right, I'm done. I'm going to die in here. Okay. When I think about that, and I think about the song that Besti sang to the little elephant, I think, what in the world makes you think that I could be my own hero when I can't even rescue myself from an unlocked freezer? Guys, we are so stupid. We are, seriously, our sin has made us stupid. What makes us think that we can be our own heroes? That we can rescue ourselves? This is a lie that you cannot believe. Okay, like I'm actually being dead serious. You can't rescue yourself from anything, let alone your sin, let alone the brokenness and injustice in this world. Okay, one of the things I actually love about the Marvel movies, about the MCU, is that it actually tells a story that, you know, we're not good enough to save ourselves, but there is a hero out there who is strong enough to save us. And oftentimes they save us at great cost to themselves. Like, that's a good story. That's the story of the gospel. Okay, there are plenty of other stories out there like that. But the story that you can be your own hero, that's a lie. Don't believe it. The third false story. Outward appearance is everything. Outward appearance is everything. I'm going to tell you another story. Several years ago, I, was, I had to go to Walmart for something. I don't remember what. 
I was uh, single living in Houston and I was driving a 2007 white Pontiac Grand Prix. I also lived in a pretty rough apartment complex and my car had been broken into like three times within the span of a month. And they had like stripped the keyhole where you're supposed to stick the car key. And so I couldn't get in, I couldn't unlock my door with my car keys anymore and there wasn't a car key thing on the other side and my little button stopped working. Basically, I couldn't lock my door anywhere I went. <clears throat> That's gonna be relevant here in a minute. So as I'm walking out of Walmart, I look up and it's a pretty empty parking lot. There aren't that many cars there. It's, uh, it's dusk, like it's not quite night yet, but night is falling. And I look up and I see in my car, a woman sitting in my driver's seat trying to crank the engine. And I just kind of stop and stare at her for it. My, my first thought is, oh, she's in the wrong car. Like, she clearly got in my, my car. She looks up and sees me staring at her. Her eyes get big, and she starts going faster. And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's trying to steal my car right in front of me. So I start walking. She looks up and sees me again, and the panic just sets in even more. And she's like, she looks like a kid who just got caught with her hand in the cookie jar. She's like, oh, my gosh, she caught me. I better get out of here. And, and, I'm freaking out because she's stealing my car. So I drop my groceries and I start sprinting. And then I see her fidgeting with the door, trying to lock the door before I can get to her. So I get there just in time. I open the door. She reaches behind her and grabs a phone, pulls it out and says, stop her. I'll call the cops. And I said, you stop her. I'll call the cops. And she said, this is my car. Oh. And then she realized she's in the wrong car. <clears throat> So it turns out it was a huge misunderstanding. Basically, I thought she was stealing my car. She thought I was coming to attack her in the middle of an empty parking lot at night. And we kind of giggled and laughed about it. It was like, huh, that was, that was really funny. Huge misunderstanding. Um, she gets out of the car and she kind of goes uh, two aisles over to where her 2007 white Pontiac Grand Prix is. Uh, and, and I sit in my car and I'm like, man, that's a relief. But then as I'm sitting down, I realize, my driver's seat has been scooted up uh, about 10 inches. My steering wheel has been lowered. My rear view mirror has been adjusted and the side mirrors have been angled inward. Basically, she got in the car and readjusted everything without once thinking, maybe I'm in the wrong car. <laughs> like, basically, she got in and just said, based on the outward appearance, like, oh, this is my car. For some reason, my seat's not where I left it, but I'll just scoot that up. My steering wheel's too high. My rear view mirror's off. I'm just gonna fix everything, but yeah, this is my car, uh-huh. Like, I don't understand like, how it didn't occur to her at some point that maybe she was in the wrong place. But then I hear a tap on my window. I roll my window down and she goes, I'm sorry, can I get my groceries out of your trunk? <laughs> and I had like a guitar and basketball shoes in there. None of that tipped her off. Like, basically, she just walked up and looked at the outward appearance of my car and said, yeah, that's mine, mm -hmm. and completely ignored all of the inside things that should have pointed her to the truth. My point is this. We do that all the time, right? We judge things and people based on the outward appearance, completely ignoring what's on the inside, completely ignoring the things that should be pointing us to the truth. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Let's talk about the selfie generation for just a second, okay? Two years ago, CNN, two years ago, CNN reported 
that 55% of plastic surgeons reported seeing patients who only wanted to improve how they look in selfies. In that same uh, article that I read, they talked about a word called Snapchat dysmorphia. This is a real thing, a real like psychological, like clinical definition of something. Basically says this, Snapchat, you have all these filters and things, you can you know, change your appearance. And when you start to do that over time, and you see this better looking version of yourself after the filters, you begin to think that's what you're supposed to look like all the time and it actually affects the way you see yourself. And they, ca they call it Snapchat dysmorphia. It's what psychologists call it. Like social media has really driven the way we are obsessed with outward appearance. And I'm not bashing social, social media, I'm not saying it's wrong, but you need to be aware of the things in social media that actually tell us false stories. In 2016, Instagram copied Snapchat and added this story element to their homepage where basically you can go up and like, you know, video or take a picture of a story or something about your life that will only stay up for 24 hours and then disappear. Since they introduced that element in 2016, over 600 million new users have joined Instagram and 400 million users use the stories element on a daily basis. So in other words, what I'm saying is this obsession with outward appearance, how is that being driven to us? Through stories, <laughs> literally. Our world and Satan knows that we are driven by stories. And he wants those stories to help to make us obsess over outward appearances. And again, I'm not saying social media is wrong. I'm just saying you need to be on the lookout for those false stories. We just read earlier that your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion. Well, if that's the case, then social media is like the Savannah. It's like the Serengeti. All right? It is, it is his playground. And you just need to be aware of where those false stories are as you navigate through all that social media stuff. Because outward appearance is not everything. God looks on the heart. Okay, number four. Life is all about experiences. Life is all about experiences. There's a guy named David Brooks who writes for the New York Times. A couple months ago, he wrote an article called Five Lies Our Culture Is Telling Us. And one of those lies he mentioned, he, he called it, life is an individual journey. It's basically this, that life is all about the experiences that you gain. It's not about the responsibilities that you have. And David Brooks' argument was that, no, life is about the responsibilities that you have. Because building up all these experiences don't really amount to the fulfilling life that you want it to be. And you guys are faced with that right now in this resume building world that, that, that is just sucking you dry. Because you have to do all these great things to put on your resume to get into a good high school, and to get into a good college, and then to eventually get a good job, and then to make enough money to have a good house and a good car. And maybe you, you work so hard you may not see your family that much, but you know what? You're going to work really hard and save up money and have these awesome vacations every now and then so that you can build these great experiences together, and then you're going to get back to the grind. And eventually you do this year after year after year until you retire, and then eventually you die. I think that's a sad story. I think that is an unfulfilling story because it's a story that is basically just 
lurching after experiences. And that's it. I just want to travel. I just want to have fun. I just want to do all these fun things. I want to make great memories. And that's what I want my life to be about. Jesus says that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know what that means? It means that the people who get celebrated in the new heavens and the new earth are probably going to be the people that you've never heard of. <laughs> Phil the plumber from Toledo, Ohio, who just, you know, he loved his family well and he loved his kids and his church and his community and he served well in his job and he worked with excellence and, and he, you know, he was just faithful day in and day out. Like these are the stories we're going to hear in the New Testament. Oh, sorry, the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus is celebrating the last, the least of these. Because life is not about racking up experiences. It's about serving. It's about being responsible where God has put us. And it's about being content where God has put us. Life is not an individual journey. Life is about loving and serving your community. Okay. <clears throat> There's four lies. We're, we're about to get to the last one here, but let's, let's recap. The first lie, listen to your heart. It's not true. The second lie, you are your own hero. That's not true. The third lie, outward appearance is everything. That's not true. The fourth, life is about experiences. That's not true either. The fifth one, and maybe the lie that Satan works at the hardest, is that the Bible is not trustworthy. This is what Satan tries to get you to believe. The Bible is not trustworthy. What I want to do right now, just for these last few minutes as we're closing, this might feel like you're in a, le a lecture. Okay, please bear with me. I want to give you some historical facts and some reasons why you can trust the Bible. Because you're going to have a lot of people in your life, if not already, like in school or whatever, or in college, you're going to have people in your life who are going to try to convince you that you can't trust the Bible, that it's not true. You may be thinking that yourself right now. I want to give you some actual reasons why you can trust the Bible. Two things I'm going to talk about. And again, it's going to sound like an academic lecture. Okay, please bear with me. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you why this is important. The first thing is manuscripts. The second thing is eyewitness accounts. These are not the only things, by the way. These are the two things I'm going to talk about. Manuscripts is basically like original copies of, of an ancient text that was written. So historians will look at this work of literature and they'll say, how many original copies or manuscripts do we have that are dated to that time period? Because the more copies you have, the more you can prove that this is trustworthy because it's, it's been copied faithfully, it was spread over like wide distances so people could corroborate the truth of what happened. So the more manuscripts you have, the more trustworthy it is. Every historian agrees on that. Let me give you some examples. A guy named Herodotus, a Greek historian from 400 BC, has 109 existing manuscripts from his time period. 109 is enough for historians to say, yeah, that's true. Livy, Roman historian, has 150. And people say, yeah, that's true. Tacitus, a Roman historian, has 33 original manuscripts dated to his time period. That's enough. 33 is enough for us to say, yeah, that's trustworthy, it's true, we can rely on, on the authenticity of it. Pliny the Elder has 200 manuscripts of his, of his work. We can look at that and say, yeah, that's true. Okay, I'm about to blow your mind. You know how many original manuscripts we have of the New Testament? Approximately 18,130. And people still think the Bible's not trustworthy. 
You know how many we have in the Old Testament? Over 42,000 scrolls and manuscripts and codices. 42,000. So this is like, this is 60,000 manuscripts from the time period of the Bible. And people still think it's not trustworthy. There's a guy named John Warwick Montgomery who says, To be skeptical of the scriptures is to allow all of classical antiquity to slip into obscurity. For no documents of the ancient period are as well attested bibliographically as the scriptures. What he's saying is this. If you can't believe that the Bible is true, then you can't believe anything from that time period is true. Because nothing has been as well documented as the Bible. You need to know that. Manuscripts tell us that the Bible is true. The second thing, eyewitness accounts. Okay, we have 18 different sources from the first century that say that Jesus was a real person. 12 of those 18 sources are not Christian sources. So two-thirds of those original sources don't even believe that Jesus is Lord, but they said, yeah, he's a real person. For comparison's sake, we have more evidence that Jesus existed than we do that Julius Caesar existed. Eighteen sources tell us that he was a real person. That's important. The second eyewitness uh, testimony that you need to listen to. Who were the first people that saw Jesus after he resurrected? The women. Okay, that's important. Because in that day and age, women were considered second-class citizens. Their testimony did not even count in court. If a woman said something in court, basically everyone was to say, like, don't believe her. It's not true. Okay, if the disciples are making up a story about Jesus resurrecting from the dead, you would never say that the first people who saw him were women. Unless it's true. It's the only reason they would say that. The other uh, eyewitness testimony you need to pay attention to. The enemies of Jesus. Jesus had plenty of enemies who didn't believe him. And there were some Jewish historians from that time period who said this. They said that Jesus was a sorcerer who led Israel astray. Why would they say that? You would think that they would just come in and say, yeah, all those miracles and things that the disciples talked about, that didn't happen. Why couldn't they say that? Because it did happen, and everybody who lived during that time period knew that it happened because they saw it. And so the enemies of Jesus said, yeah, we can't make up a lie about that not happening. So what we're going to say is this. We're going to say that he was a sorcerer who led Israel astray. If the enemies of Jesus had to say he was a sorcerer in order to explain the things that he did, it means that something miraculous happened. And the last thing we're going to talk about, the number of eyewitnesses. Paul says that there was a point when Jesus appeared to 500 people at once after he resurrected. And then Paul says, many of those people are still alive today. You can go talk to them and ask them for yourself. 500 people. All it takes is one eyewitness to completely sway the vote of a jury in court. There were 500 eyewitnesses in the first century who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. 500 people. That is a legitimate number. And Paul says, you can go ask him for yourself. Many of them are still alive. Here's the point that I'm making. All right, listen to me. This is, this, I'm, I'm wrapping this up here. We have historical evidence that says that Jesus is a real person. We have 500 witnesses who saw him after he rose from the dead. 
That means that Jesus is who he says he was. He is the Son of God. And if he is the Son of God, you need, first off, you need to know he believed the Scriptures. If he is who he says he was, and if he believed the Scriptures, then you can believe the Scriptures too. Okay, what I just gave you there was a logical line of thinking. This is not some fantastic idea that we're just pulling out of thin air. This is a logical line of thinking for why you can believe the Bible. Jesus was real. 500 people saw him after he rose from the dead. He believed in the scriptures, therefore you can believe in the scriptures. That's logic. That's a clear testimony to why the Bible is true. And here's the point. If the Bible is true, then that changes everything. And tomorrow we're going to come in... And I want to tell you the story of the Bible. I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. <laughs> I'm going to give you a cliff notes version, okay? I want to hit the key points so that you can see that from the beginning to the end, the Bible is a story. So tomorrow's lesson might be a little different. It might actually not feel like a lesson in the ways that, like, yesterday's and today's was. Tomorrow is really going to be more of a storytelling session. So I want you to come in ready to sit back, relax, and hear a really long story that's going to tell you how awesome God is and how much he loves you. Okay, let's pray. We'll be done. God, you are good and you have been so gracious and kind to give us your story. And God, I pray that we would receive it with open arms. That we would know that it is true. And it's not just true because we want it to be true. It's true because there is historical evidence that proves it. And if that's true then we can begin to recognize with wisdom the false stories that this world is telling us. And I pray that you would give us that wisdom and that you would guide us and walk with us so that we can begin to recognize the false narratives of this world so that we can steer clear of them and know that those stories are trying to lead us to our own destruction. So guide us, protect us, walk with us, lead us in your truth so that we can know you and your story better. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, guys.